Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Candy. I'm excited about today's topic. I think this is going to be another fun one. Because it was also the winner of our This, That, or The Other, right? That is absolutely true. We conferred with our 1993 Buy Me a Coffee Club members, Mm -hmm. and this is the topic they chose. That's right. Yeah. They're going to figure this out probably pretty quickly, but I don't know. Maybe. Here's what I'm going to ask you. All right. While we were doing our two episodes to E.T., which I thoroughly Mm -hmm. enjoyed, little Drew Barrymore, who played the adorable Gertie, came up quite a bit. Yes, she did. And we talked a lot about her within the context of that movie. Mm -hmm. But what are a few things you know about Drew Barrymore's real life? About Drew's real life. Oh, sweet Drew. She seems like she has been an open book. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. She has just lived it all. Mm -hmm. She has been a child actor who has been to hell and back, honestly, Mm -hmm. several times. And she is still out here and thriving. And Mm -hmm. I know that she was in rehab when she was very young. She's had a very tempestuous relationship with her mother which was a momager and I don't know where they are now maybe you'll let me know but Mm -hmm. they did not have a good relationship and she's been married a few times and I think she recently completed rehab again or became sober again so Mm -hmm. that's what I mean she's just gone gone through everything but she's always stayed so bubbly and so positive and so kind and sweet and real and authentic I really do like her Mm -hmm. I do too and a lot of the things you just mentioned are going to come up in our episode today so that was actually a nice little overview or, hmm. or teaser. You mentioned the word real two, yeah. two or three times. I have not watched enough of her talk show right. to know if that is an ongoing theme, but I have watched now several episodes in preparation for, mm-hmm. for this particular podcast episode that we're doing. And I know I heard her say keeping it real yeah. several times in okay. those episodes. So I do believe that that is something that is a theme for her mm-hmm. in she's her also life really, and on her show both. She's also a really good actress. She is. I think she's very talented. Well, it's... Interesting that you brought up some of the things that you did because in researching for this episode, I found the Drew Barrymore show season two premiere. She wanted to become a little more personal with her audience. So she took the her little crew with her to do a segment that she called My LA. And she revisited some of the important places of her childhood. Oh, that's interesting. And one of the places that she took this crew to was the institution that she was placed in when she was 13 years old and I thought this would be an interesting way to start this episode so I'm gonna play it's about two and a half minutes if even it may not even be that so it's a pretty short little clip this is where for I'll let Ashley watch it but those of you listening what's happening is Drew she was actually the driver and then she had her little film crew people in the back with her and when they got to the institution she tried to go actually knock on the door and get in Mm -hmm. and it was closed up so they pulled their vehicle over and she ends up climbing on top of the vehicle because then she could see over the barbed wire oh. and the walls and the film you know the film crew could actually give us kind of an, a little over aerial cl- shot closed as in closed forever or just closed to people I tried to figure that out okay. I don't know I think maybe they just weren't responding to her mm. because may, who knows there look to be a few vehicles in the lot okay. so I think it might still be an operation but I'm just making a guess the place with all the barbed wire She's climbing on top of the car at this point. I was a real wild child. And I just got so out of control that no one could do with me. And so my mom called a friend because her daughter was out of control. And they drove me here in the middle of the night. And they walked me right through those two doors. And when you go through those two doors, you do not come out. Um, and I was there for a year and a half, and I hated it. I kicked, I screamed. One minute you're 
at movie premieres and clubbing and the next minute you're in a full-blown institution with barbed wire everywhere and you can't get out. I think this is important for me to share with people because when they watch our show we have a very beautiful set and I get to dress in nice clothing and get my hair and makeup done and there's an elegance hopefully to the show but I will never lose sight of this part of my story and I have seen and been through things and they've helped me just recognize in all of us that we go through stuff and it can't be embarrassing it has to be our strengths it has to be something that we can be proud of because we overcame it and we look back with honor and humor <laughs> your life is so wonderful compared to what it was in this place i can't even believe i actually get to be where I am now because when I was here I didn't see that I thought I would be here forever I never thought I was going to make it to somewhere better and I'm just so happy with my life and I don't know if I would have the life I have if it wasn't for a place like this so it was so important to come here today and just like honor this so any thoughts you want to share about that before we move on? Yes. I think that's a part of why I like her so much is because she acknowledges where she came from, what mm -hmm. she's been through, and said it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to say, look at what we've overcome and to, and to look back with humor mm -hmm. and just honor. And a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of people, I just throw those words out there, but some people try to cover up what they've been through or try to pretend like everything's perfect. And then that makes you unrelatable mm -hmm. because how can you relate to someone who says my life has been perfect and nothing ever has gone wrong for me and then when something does go wrong in your life you don't feel like you can go to them because what can they what can they give you what can they serve you but for someone who says I've been through it I've been to the other side here's here's how I made it through and I'm going to help you make it through I just respect those kind of people so much more mm -hmm. I agree with that I also loved when she said back when she was experiencing it she thought she would never mm -hmm. get out mm -hmm. and that that was it like her mm -hmm. life was going to be terrible and the fact that she is able to look back now and recognize that she took those obstacles and the struggle and she was able to right. to use it for something good yeah to make to make things better well in that same episode this was a beautiful episode by the way I'm probably going to mention it several okay. times but in that same episode towards the end she had a little surprise visit from Dr. Phil. Mm -hmm. Now, this is because they were filming on the Paramount Pictures studio lot, and that apparently is where he films as well. Okay. And so he drove up to surprise her. So I'm going to share one other tiny short segment, and this is all going to lead into telling you guys what our actual focus for this episode is going to be. Okay? Look who's here! Look at this! What's up? Happy to see you. Well, I heard you were shooting on the lot. You know, I've been here so long, I'm like the welcome wagon. So I brought you a welcome basket. And, you know, your grandfather shot a lot of movies here, right? So I found some photos of him on the lot here. So how about that? That is so Probably sweet. Right? That is so yeah. sweet. Yeah. I knew that he was here, but I, I didn't have any photographic evidence of it. Yeah, well, there you go. And I've got something even more special for you. This is amazing. You know, it, he shot one of the most iconic movies ever. <clears throat> this is the original poster for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from the 20s. Okay. I... I'm, um, I'm going to put these up immediately. I love that you're going to be associated with these moments because you're bringing me closer to my roots. You're welcome, and thank you for being my friend, and welcome to the Paramount lot. Do not park in my spot. I will. <laughs> 
thoughts about that. That is so cool. I, wasn't it? And oh did, my gosh. Of course, the poster. We just did that we did episode, an episode of Jekyll and Hyde and yes. referenced John Barrymore being in that silent and movie. And that's her grandfather. That's her grandfather. And if you guys watch that clip, because of course we'll post it on mm-hmm. our social media, she gets a little teary. She does. You could always say, oh, she's an actor. That seemed real. That seemed real. That very reaction was real. very real. I don't know if you caught this as well, but he referenced Hollywood royalty. Mm-hmm. Hollywood royalty. Her family, her legacy as a Barrymore, they truly are. They are. Hollywood from royalty. From the beginning. They are called the first family of acting. Yes. I mean, there are so many titles. They're called a dynasty. Yeah. And so the reason I wanted to start in this way is because we are looking at this woman who is an acclaimed actress, talk show host. She has a lot of other things behind her. She Mm -hmm. has a a perfume line, all kinds of things, but she's been through a lot. Yes. And she's still struggling. And yet she is also part of this Barrymore legacy. Which it seems like if I remember right, they also went through a lot. That seems to be a family, I don't want to say a family curse, but that is a term that's out there. It is. The Barrymore curse is like, as I would research I would see that phrase used over and over again Mm. and so the that's something we're going to talk about in this episode we're going to talk about the Barrymore legacy and we're also going to talk about Drew if you would if you want to use this terminology working to overcome that curse breaking the breaking the family curse yes so before we jump in Ashley you've shared what you know about Drew but give us a few of the tidbits you already know about the Barrymore family Mm, I know Ethel was I think Ethel was more on the stage and I know the least about John but Lionel was Mr. Potter in mm. It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. That's what we would all know him as. But he was also in another film where he played a gentle, happy grandpa in You Can't Take It With You <laughs> oh, with Jimmy okay. Stewart. So if you want to see the good side of Lionel Barrymore, watch that movie. Watch that one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, to start this out, I found a quote in a Vanity Fair article that I thought gave an interesting summary that also sounded pretty powerful. If this is true, I'm going to ask Ashley to read it to oh, us okay. really quickly. The puzzle of the Barrymore clan, stars of stage and screen since the 18th century, is one that has fascinated chroniclers for generations. They are the most charming humans, the most talented, the wittiest, the most delightful people ever given the bums rush out of heaven, artist James Montgomery Flagg once said. At the same time, probably the most self-centered, spoiled, irresponsible leprechauns ever to crawl out of a hollow tree. Wow, that's I, that's vastly different. I and what a statement because talk about a dichotomy. Yeah. To be that talented and charming and revered mm-hmm. and yet to be called that self-centered. Yeah. And and as I started researching, you found it was true. I saw a lot of it. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. So, I thought, okay, let's dig into this. Okay. Now, I'm just going to put this out from the very beginning. We could be here for like 3 hours if we were really going to trace all the Barrymores mm-hmm. because they go back so far. 18th century. Yes, they go all the way back to strolling country players in Great Britain in the 1700s. I mean, like they... That's amazing. It goes way, way, way back. I'm not going to go that far back. Okay. And also, I didn't go that deep. Okay. So, so I'm giving you guys the more superficial version of the Barrymore family tree. Barrymore family light. And, yes. <laughs> and I'm also just following Drew. Okay. Yeah. So we're actually going to start with Louisa Lane Drew. Well, it becomes Drew when she marries her third husband. Okay. But this is going to be Drew Barrymore's great-great-grandmother. Okay. Okay. Now, Louisa herself, very talented actress. And an interesting fact that I know both Ashley and I are going to love is that she actually performed in some plays with John Wilkes Booth and his father. Oh, wow. That is taking it way back. Yes. 1800s right there. Mm -hmm. Now, according to the sources, Louisa had no children with her first two husbands. I believe they both passed away not positive okay but with her third husband who was the celebrated actor john drew she had three children one of whom was georgiana drew this lady Mm -hmm. is going to become drew barrymore's great grandmother okay and we're going to call her georgie because that was the nickname that she went by okay now this louisa though great grandma great great grandma i should say she was impressive this was a little fireball apparently she was short in stature but so strong so capable incredibly impressive. As I said, really talented as an actor herself, her husband also, but she had a lot of credit for being comedic and also knowing how to kind of play up her husband and help him uh-huh. in his career. Mm-hmm. Now, even with the three young children, she found a way somehow to make to, it work, to make it work that 
she could still act. But in 1853, her husband, John Drew, is appointed the manager of the prestigious Arch Street Theater in Philadelphia. But according to several sources, he was not so great at this. And mm-hmm. so she was helping him run the business. Mm-hmm. And also, he would just leave and go off and tour and do shows. And she's the one holding down the fort. Right. So apparently, somebody along the way, somebody in power, one source called them the stockholders, decided to make Louisa the manager in oh. 1861. And by 1862, when her husband passed away, I mean... Oh, gosh, he died he too? He did. He died young. It was sad. But she is... I mean, she's running this thing and she ran it for something like 31 years. They renamed it the Mrs. John Drew's Arch Street Theater. This is in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. She is either the very first woman or one of the first women to ever manage a major theater in That's the U.S. That's awesome. I wish it had been called the Louisa Drew Theater, but I'm going to set it, it aside for the times. Hey, yeah. the fact that they yes, named it, it after her, it we can live with it. We can. Yes. So she is also raising her own family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she continued to act throughout this. Lady. Like, I mean, I'm sure not as much, sure. but she continued to be an actress. A lot of people, her nickname was the, the Duchess. So a lot of people oh. referred to her as the Duchess. Now, again, her daughter, Georgie, is going to be the line that leads to Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. So Georgie, of course, becomes an actress herself. As you would. As pretty much everybody in this line does. <laughs> but while Georgie is performing in a show, she happens to meet an actor named Maureen. Reese Barrymore. All right, there's where the line, there there's where the name starts. And yeah, exactly. This is where Barrymore comes into in the U.S. But here's an interesting little tidbit. Okay, he wasn't really a Barrymore. No, this guy was British, and he was born with the name Herbert Chamberlain. I think I would say Blythe. It's B L Y T H, either Blythe, Blythe or Blythe. Yeah. Yes. So he was. He did some boxing. He studied law, and when he decided to become an actor, this was a scandalous thing. Yeah, his family hated this. This was something. <gasps> that was basically kind of shameful to uh-huh. these wealthy people in England. So to save the family honor... He has a stage name? It's a, a stage, stage name! Barrymore is, is a stage name? Yes! Oh yes! Oh my gosh! He changes his name to Maurice Barrymore and he moves to America in 1874 to start working with acting troops over here. And by the way, a lot of times they called him Barry as his nickname. <laughs> Can you believe it? That, you are breaking news here. That is amazing. <laughs> I know. I was fascinated. <laughs> yes. So a lot of times as you're doing research, you keep seeing some of their kids be being referenced as Blythe instead of Barrymore sometimes. Oh, and that's why. Okay. I wonder if Drew's real name is Drew Blythe then. Did she he, did she legally change her name? Like did, at any point, did they legally change their name to Barrymore? Or is it still just like a... Most of the time, I, do, I did not ever look okay. up the legalities. Uh-huh. Most of the time you see them as Barrymore. Okay. Drew comes up as Drew Barrymore. Okay. Yeah. Well, Georgie married Maurice on December 31st, 1876. And she would end up giving birth to three children, Lionel, Lionel, and John. Yes. Now, the couple had a very rocky marriage. In fact, several sources talked about all the affairs that Barry had and the fact that he was very much an absent husband and father. One source referred to him as a wastrel. Gosh. I know. It did not paint a great picture of this Mm. guy. Here's a story. He's the leprechaun they're referring to earlier, (laughs) I guess. One of them. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) But in his 1951 autobiography, We Barrymore's Lionel tells one of his favorite stories, which apparently Ethel and John also told the same story. So this is one of those that- A group family story. Yes, exactly, shared. So I'm going to read this straight from, it's an excerpt from the book. According to a tale, which we now have to accept as fact because it has been sanctified in print so often, Mm -hmm. Maurice was returning home one Sunday morning after a week's good times. He was in high humor as he greeted his wife and children on the steps of their home. I perceive, madam, you are going out, he said with a bow. Pray, may I inquire where? Georgie replied, I am going to church and you can go to hell. (laughs) Dang, Georgie. And he referred to his dad as Maurice, right? That well, was his father. This was this was from his autobiography. Yeah. So yes, it would appear to be his Whoa. wording. So not a great relationship. Not a great relationship. Yeah. Mm. So because of these kinds of things that were going on with dad mm-hmm. and the fact that the couple were often touring in their acting companies, mm-hmm. we go back to Louisa. Louisa played a huge Grandma. role in, in raising her grandchildren. Louisa? Yes. I love you, Louisa. They called her Mum Mum. Oh. And she just was larger than life. Now, this is sad. 
Louisa had to take on an even larger parenting role after Georgie's tragic death in 1893. They used terms like consumption and tuberculosis. So it was something to that effect that caused her death. She had actually traveled for her health and then passed away. I think Ethel was with her, if I remember the details. Mm -hmm. But regardless, her kids are teenagers Mm. and and mom is now gone. So grandma takes them in? Yes. But this this was another issue with them. I mean, I think we have to give a lot of credit to grandma who is running a theater acting yes. and also and just raised her ra- kids right and is now and raising her grandkids but at the same time the the children i think all three of them at different times talked about the separation they felt these siblings from each other because they spent a lot of time in boarding school oh, so they were separated yeah. they would spend a lot of time there or they're all by the time they're teens they're all involved in theater yeah so they're also Traveling. acting mm-hmm. so i think mom mom was their stabilizing influence but they were apart or they were at school a lot too which Mm -hmm. was part of I think one of the factors that really played into how they turned out as adults okay some of their experiences just to kind of throw this out there by the way a number of sources said that Maurice ended up dying this was many years later in 1905 I believe he ended up dying in a sanitarium after they think it was the effects of untreated syphilis basically made him kind of lose his mind yeah yes but back to Louisa she not only was the grandmother to them, she served as a mentor to them mm-hmm. as they were starting their acting careers. Some of them had their stage debut in a play with her. Yeah. Yes. And she just was very involved in influencing their careers. All three of those children from Georgie and Barry would go on to become stars. A Vanity Fair article said this, quote, Although the Drew and Barrymore families had been treading the boards for decades, it was Ethel and her brothers, Lionel and John, who would propose their fame into the stratosphere well, also with the advent of movies that would help yes 100 percent. i don't think it, they all jumped on that was ethel in the movies too she was okay yeah now <laughs> ethel though to piggyback on that last little quote i just gave you in her memoir in 1955 actually it was an autobiography called memories she said quote i think my brothers and i were born under a dark star mm. there was no such thing for us as enduring happiness mm. so i thought that was a theme we've kind of already said that idea a couple times now mm-hmm. superstardom yes, yet yes. no enduring yes. happiness they could not find contentment right. or satisfaction yes but no they matter gave it to what so kind many of fame. people yes so the same biographer who was talking about them in the article i thought this was an insightful comment this this biographer said something to the effect of while all of these siblings would write and speak about their family's history with great pride it seemed as though they all also recognized that genius came with a steep price i liked that comment well again we're following drew barrymore's line so we're gonna live in you know john mostly but i i have to mention the other two because they are so big in the hollywood business all right a quick word about lionel he's the eldest of the three obviously and ashley's already told us he is best remembered as the despicable bank shareholder mr potter in it's a wonderful life but he was prolific Mm -hmm. this man appeared in over 200 films Mm -hmm. oh my goodness he was described as being the most eccentric trick and solitary of those three Barrymores. Okay. He openly talked about the fact that he was really acting because he needed money oh. rather than because he enjoyed because it. Because he enjoyed it. However, he was so highly respected and very popular, but mostly as a character actor. Yeah. They yeah. said he didn't have quite the looks yes. for the leading, leading man. man. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Yes. He also had very bad arthritis. You can see it in his later films. His hands are very yes. gnarled with arthritis. 100%. Mm-hmm. In fact, he would end up spending the last many years of his life in a wheelchair Mm. and because he was so respected as an actor they started building that into his roles is that why potter was in a wheelchair probably wow he had a couple of hip injuries and then the debilitating arthritis set in and the combination of all those things led to him first having to use crutches and then eventually Mm -hmm. being in a wheelchair now he also shared that he preferred other arts to acting he was an accomplished artist oh neat and a composer and an author this guy was talented that is talented and everybody described him as being outwardly gruff but his friend and co-star lauren bacall said at one time about him quote he was one of those people who pretends he doesn't need anyone and doesn't care but is so thoughtful Mm. so kind Mm. he's like he's like a harrison ford yeah (laughs) (laughs) to follow that line he had a lot of personal struggles one was that he looked very tragically lost both 
of his two children while they were still babies. Those were the only children he had. And of course, we've talked about his suffering from the arthritis. arthritis. One other thing was it was mentioned that he became addicted to morphine in trying to deal with his pain and his situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he had some addiction to at least one substance. I'm not sure if he had any other Mm -hmm. um, abuse. Now, Ethel was the second child. She was a year younger than Lionel, and she became known as the first lady of the American stage. Yeah. Because she was just absolutely adored and revered. Sounds like she followed in her grandmother's footsteps for that. Absolutely. In 1928, the Ethel Barrymore Theater was built on Broadway, obviously named after her. Mm -hmm. The Schuberts were the ones who built it, and they offered to name it in her honor if she would agree to perform in its first show which of course she did. Well, yeah. And it is one of the only theaters that is still around that has its original name. Wow. It is still the Ethel Barrymore Theater. Mm -hmm. That is influence. She was known to be beautiful, talented, witty. She had a number of guys after her. Rumor has it Winston Churchill was one of those that he proposed. Wow. Mm -hmm. She turned him down, but they remained friends. She did marry one man with whom she had three children, but he reportedly was abusive to her and cheated on her. And Uh. so they divorced after about 14 years. Three kids seems to be also the number of kids they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she struggled with alcoholism. Mm. Yeah. Now, over the years, she continued for quite some time to do both stage and film. Okay. But a notable performance was her Oscar-winning role opposite Cary Grant in None But the Lonely Heart in 1944. And then as she got older and she was doing these films, a lot of times she was cast in the matronly roles. Okay. She did her last film, Johnny Trouble, around 1957 was actually when it was released. And then having suffered from a heart condition for several years, she actually died of complications due to cardiovascular disease at her home in Beverly Hills on June 18th, 1959 at the age of 79. So she outlived both of her famous brothers. She did. Yeah, she did. So that's a little overview very quickly of the older siblings. John, of course, is the one we're going to focus a little bit more on and he is Drew Barrymore's grandfather. He actually tried to stay away from acting when he was a young man. He had a quote at one time that said, I left the stage to study at art schools, and I only went back to the theater because there is hope, at least money, for the bad actor. The indifferent (laughs) painter usually starves. That's true. We saw that with Vincent. Yeah. But he went on to become regarded as one of the finest actors of the 20th century. They called him a Broadway megastar for Mm. his work in productions like Hamlet and Richard III. So his work in Shakespeare was very highly acclaimed on the stage. And then he also made a very successful move into film because we've already heard that he was in the 1920 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was a silent film. Ah. And then when the talkie started, he he had a great voice. Yeah. So he did just as well. Yeah. Yeah, he did just as well when they moved to the other types of movies. Now, we said Lionel was the character actor. John was the leading Leading man. man. He had charisma. He was so handsome. They called him the great profile. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and then years later, later in his life, he would actually kind of make fun of himself by doing a movie called The Great Profile. (laughs) But but it was it was an honor when they called him that when he was young. However, he loved the ladies. Uh, And he loved the ladies from a very young age. Yeah. got into a lot of trouble over that. He actually would end up getting married four times, and it was with his third wife, Dolores Costello, that he had John Drew Jr., who would become Drew Barrymore's father. Now, I did not find out much information about grandpa, you know, grandfather John's relationship with his son, who is Drew's father, other than there was one little simple Wikipedia comment that said that, that his parents had separated when he was 18 months old, talking about Drew's dad and that he rarely saw his father after that. And then there was a Washington Post article that said that John Drew Barrymore Jr., Drew's father, said he remembered seeing his famous father only once. What? So he was, John Barrymore, the grandfather was an absent father to wow. his kids. In fact, it's so confusing because they all have the same names. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm going to sometimes like simplify this. Henry VIII people. It, come on, people. Use some different <laughs> names. But so Drew's dad had a half-sister named Diana okay. also in acting. Uh-huh. But Diana... Anna shared in her autobiography a similar experience that she talked about how when she was young, finding this photo and literally going and saying, is this me with my father? Like, so they, I mean, I'm not 
think she didn't see her father sometimes mm-hmm. later in her life, mm-hmm. but he was not a father to, to these children. He was just absent. He was very absent. And again, talking now about grandfather John, he was painted as having a lot of demons. He famously struggled with alcohol from a very young age, and that was one of the factors that they think led to his decline in health mm-hmm. and his acting ability yeah. that occurred later in his life. I mean, this man was prolific and revered for such a long time, but in his later life, he couldn't remember his lines. They would mm. have to hold up cue cards Mm -hmm. and he would read from them while Mm -hmm. he was performing and it got to where he stopped being offered the a movies he started getting the b movies and then he actually started trying radio a little bit because you could read that you could read that's good you could get away with some things and it was when he was working on an installment of band leader rudy valley's radio program in the spring of 1942 that he collapsed He was rehearsing for that. And at an L.A. hospital several days later, he slipped into a coma and he died on May 29th, 1942. And he was 60 years old. Mm. It was said that he had cirrhosis of the liver and pneumonia. From his alcoholism? Yes. Yes. Well, I'm going to give us one little last note before we take our break. I thought this was interesting. The only time all three siblings performed in a movie together was in the historical drama Rasputin and the Empress, which was a 1932 film. And Lionel was the one who played the famous mad monk Rasputin. (laughs) And then a year later, Lionel and John were together in the comedy Dinner at Eight, which was very popular. Yes. And one last little note about the siblings was it sounded as though, again, I'm making a few inferences here. It sounded as though Lionel and Ethel were pretty distant from each other. Not real close at all but it seemed as though both of the older siblings felt more protective or Um, more connected to john the baby the baby Mm. yes both of them kind of would come to his defense uh, defense if something happened or try to relate more to him it seemed like yeah well let's take our break and when we come back we're going to talk more about drew okay do you love tea Do you love entertainment? Do you love listening to stories from your two new BFFs? Then consider joining the club over at buymeacoffee.com. For $5 per month, you can be a part of the 1939 Club, otherwise known as the Golden Year of Cinema. When Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Stagecoach of Mice and Men, Wuthering Heights, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Little Princess, Babes in Arms, Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, The Wizard of Oz were released. Perks include a 5% discount on new merchandise, a shout out for new members, an opportunity to be listed as a supporter in show notes, and exclusive access to bonus content. However, if you're feeling doubly generous, you can join the 1993 Club, otherwise known as the greatest year of cinema. This is the year that Schindler's List, The Sandlot, The Fugitive, Rudy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Sleepless in Seattle, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, Grumpy Old Men, and of course, Jurassic Park were released. Additional perks in this club include a 10% discount on Scandalwater merchandise, the opportunity to record a shout-out of your own, and the chance to vote in our guaranteed content poll, along with the warm and sunny feeling that you're supporting your besties. If clubbing isn't your thing, there's a one-time gift option, too. Either way, those who support Scandalwater report fewer bad hair days, more green lights and traffic, and a grander sense of purpose and wonder at least once per day. Scandalwater, we do the research so you don't have to. All right, we are back, and do you want to share with sure. them what you looked up while, yeah, well, during the break? During the break, we looked it up to see if you can watch, tell me the titles of the films again, Rasputin and, and, the, Empress. and the Empress, and Dinner at Eight, Dinner and you eight. can watch both of those, at least on YouTube. You can see the previews, and you can rent or buy them off YouTube, and we watched the previews, and they were really good. Or fun. <laughs> well, we are ready now to talk a little bit more about Drew Barrymore's father, okay. John Drew Jr., and the sad news is he largely followed in his dad's footsteps. that's what I thought. If you just take a little superficial glance at it, it parallels it pretty closely. Mm -hmm. He went into acting like his father, although he was not nearly so successful. Mm -hmm. He did not. I don't even know any films he's been in. No, I mean, he he was in a number of things, but just I I hadn't heard of any of them, I don't think. He also had four marriages. Mm. He also was an absent father to Mm -hmm. his children. He also struggled with alcohol abuse. However, he also struggled with abuse of other substances. 
substances mm-hmm. as well. Okay. John Drew Jr., in fact, struggled with the law, too. Mm-hmm. A Washington Post article said he got into repeated fights during his career, that he was arrested several times for drug use, drunkenness, and spousal abuse. Aww. And this was just a comment it made, which was interesting. It noted that at various times, he was reported to be living like a hermit, a derelict, or a vagabond, which, and it was an odd article. Mm -hmm. Now, it was John Drew Jr.'s third marriage to Jade Mako that resulted in Drew Barrymore being born. Which is also, it was the third marriage that resulted in him being born. Exactly. So that's another parallel. Yes. And Jade, also an actress. Okay. There's another parallel. Now, they did not actually officially divorce for several more years, but Drew's parents were actually separated by the time Drew was born in early 1975. And of course, we all know she has shared quite a bit about her childhood and her relationship with her parents. So a lot of this information that I'm going to be sharing now is Mm -hmm. going to come from things that Drew has said in interviews, Mm -hmm. written in memoirs, or just otherwise shared. Okay. Now, she has made it clear that there were long, long periods of estrangement from her dad. And, you know, so lots of times she just didn't see him at all. Mm -hmm. But when she did see him when when she was young, he could be unpredictable or even scary. Mm. There was a quote she gave at one point where she said, my father was a junkie and an alcoholic for 30 years. Nice combo, huh? So that breeds bad behavior. It was hard for me to deal with growing up. It was chaotic and violent and scary. Mm. Now, Drew, of course, because of all this, was largely raised by her single mother, Jade, who we've already said had an actress life herself. She was Mm -hmm. trying to to make it. Although, again, like her husband, I didn't really find where she had much of any success. Okay. So she was not bringing in a lot of money. Okay. And that means that she was looking for ways to find money. So Drew mentions in one of her talk show interviews, it was actually the one with Brooke Shields that I watched, where she mentioned how her mother, her word was schlepping. Her mother would schlep her to all these auditions. And she shared in that interview that it was a huge deal when Drew made it big, E.T. being her first, you know, breakthrough role. Because then they could afford things. Because then they could afford things. She straight up said she helped pay the rent. Yeah. It was because of if her. If I that, work, we eat. Yes. And and they got a car. She literally said, at one point, I was gifted a car and my mom could not afford one. So these things mattered. Yeah. They mattered. So you said that you watched that interview that I Drew did. Barrymore had with Brooke Shields yes. as well. Yes. I love that interview, by the way. It was very good. I watched that one and I also watched one that she did with Jeanette McCurdy. And that was also mm, very good. I have not seen that one. Mm-hmm. Well, another little piece that I thought was powerful, they talked, obviously, it was about Brooke and her relationship with her mother, but Drew chimed in so many times with her experience because it paralleled so closely some Mm -hmm. of the things that had happened to Brooke. And so at one point, Drew kind of jumped in there to say, we both had to be the ones to navigate our mothers and to actually keep them alive because they were broken. We We had to take care of them. Right. And so this was a theme and this was something that was put on... Drew and and Brooke too I'm sure but we're talking about Drew here at a very young age and she felt the pressure Mm -hmm. to act and to be successful be the breadwinner yes because she needed to help support the family and take care of her mother right now on the flip side Drew loved acting in her 2015 memoir called Wildflower she admits to being almost obsessed with her legendary family she said quote when my dad would talk about his own father I would listen as if I was being let into this very tale world where dangers lurk but fantastical magical things can occur wow and i thought it was also interesting this is just another little thought that i threw in here you and i talked about while we were discussing et that while she was filming that the woman who played her her mom in the movie that character mary was described as being kind of like a, a big sister. A child. Childlike, Childlike. herself, mm-hmm. yes. And, th- and that role was modeled after Steven Spielberg's mother, mm-hmm. who he said didn't parent them. She was more of, she big sistered them. Yeah. That's how Drew's mom, Jade, was. Okay. She was the big sister. Okay. In fact, Drew has written that she grew up with zero protection and zero consistency from her mother. Again, she didn't recognize this as a child, but reflectively as an adult, especially as a mother herself now, she Mm -hmm. has said that she did not recognize then just how inappropriate... A lot of what was going on was. Exactly. Her mother took her to Studio 54 when she was nine years old. Mm. Drew was quoted as saying, so wrong, but so fun. Yeah. 
she was only nine when she first drank alcohol. Which means she she was three years older than what we see her as in E.T. Just for a little bit of like, she was six in E.T. So three years on from that. Yes. I think she turned seven while she was filming. But the same point is the same. Yeah. By the time she was 12, she had tried cocaine. Yeah. And we've already talked about the fact that she was put in rehab by the time she was 13 and spent a year and a half there. Mm-hmm. So it was, I don't know how to say it. Her, her childhood was traumatic. Mm-hmm. We heard her say in that clip that she was a wild child. Mm-hmm. She was out of control. Mm-hmm. She had to be put there. And while it was devastating to her, she also recognizes that it really changed her life. It was interesting because in that same episode where she was t- taking the tour of, she called it My L.A. Mm -hmm. They actually started by visiting the neighborhood where she was around the time she was filming E.T. when she she was around seven. Mm -hmm. I I guess that was when it came out. But regardless, she got teary looking at her her house and she said what she remembered was how lonely she was. Mm She said it had a sad energy. She described the house as empty and lonely. And in fact, she said that that's one of the things that that experience had taught her was how much she needed other people and yeah. that she was the type of person who could not live in a quiet, lonely place. She needs to be Grand Central Station. She wants she's to surround ex- herself with love and yeah. people. Yeah. So it was interesting to watch her looking at this house where she lived with her single mother and for her reaction to be so... Visceral? Yes. And then... She also went to, here's what we haven't talked about yet. She went to the apartment that she was in after she won emancipation from her Mm, parents when she was only 14 years old. so young, such a baby. So let's think about this for a second. Her mother has to put her in this institution when she's 13. Mm -hmm. She gets out when, you know, after a year and a half, she's now 14, probably moving towards 15. And her situation in her home life and the way she's been raised is so severe. A judge grants her emancipation. And as she is looking at this apartment she kept saying oh it's so much nicer now the neighborhood is so much nicer now her biggest memory was fear yeah she remembers being terrified she said when she could sleep the cats <laughs> she started she said here's what mating cats sound like oh. this was the soundtrack of this apartment yes. because either she was awake scared or she being awakened cats. by cats she said that she, again she got teary she said one of the the things that is most healing to her 14 year old self was knowing that her own children would never have to live alone like that. And this is just, I'm going to add this in just as a little side note, because I know that you'll enjoy this and it'll be meaningful to you. She also went to a bookstore Mm -hmm. because she said that when she was emancipated at 14, the judge said to her, you never have to go to school again. And that was wonderful to her because apparently she had some bad experiences in her school. Yeah. However, she said she knew she did not want to be an uneducated person. Yeah. So there was a bookstore that she loved and she went and she started reading, reading, reading. Wow. And she focused on classics. She started pulling books off the bookshelf in this clip and one of them was Kurt Vonnegut. And she shared how she got to actually eat dinner with him one night after she'd read all of his works. Wow. And here's what the part you'll really love. She picked up a Nora Ephron book at oh. one point and said, do yourself a favor and read everything she's ever written. Oh, yes. Yeah. I do like that. Okay. Well, moving back. So the point is, this is Drew dealing with addictions. Yes. Dealing with estrangement from her parents feeling alone, feeling desperately unhappy. And at this point of her life, she's not yet 15. Gosh, I and can't believe so, the judge said she didn't have to go to school. That's so strange. Apparently emancipation means you're you get in control to make your own, of, you yeah, make your own you're decisions. control of your own life. I see. But she at this point was really following the Barrymore legacy in in terms of what they were typically doing with their lives. So many of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but this is the point where going back to that interview with Brooke, I loved where she said she worked really hard to figure out how to forgive her parents Mm -hmm. and how to go on with her life in a positive way. She mentioned to Brooke specifically that she was very proud of how both of them were conscious of trying to be strong and take control and not blaming others Mm -hmm. or playing the victim. Mm -hmm. 
And that was how she phrased it. And so she said, she spent a lot of time in therapy. This is not in the interview. This was in, in things that she'd written, but she spent a lot of time in therapy. And one of the other ways she took control of her life, you've already referenced this in 2019, after realizing that she was starting to again have an issue with alcohol, she became sober. She gave up alcohol. And she also did things such as trying to reach out to her father, despite the fact that they'd had all this estrangement. When he became terminally ill later in her life, she found care for him. She paid for care Mm -hmm. for him. And before he died of cancer in 2004, when he did pass away, she released a statement that said he was a cool cat. Please smile when you think of him. Mm. And she actually has found a way to reconcile with her mother as well. Okay. They have a good relationship. And she said that is partly because they have established, she has helped establish very clear boundaries. Yeah. She said in a People Magazine article, I will always support her. I can't turn my back on the person who gave me my life. Right. I can't do it. It would hurt me so much. I would find it so cruel. But there are times where I've realized that our chemistry and behavior will drum up a feeling in me where I have to say, okay, I need a break again. Mm -hmm. So they will take their pauses. Mm -hmm. She's got the boundaries, but she is able to have a relationship with her mother. Yeah. That's one of the things she mentions in the, in the interview with Brooke is how do you, how do you reconcile the fact that this person who was so toxic also gave you this life of such privilege now? Mm -hmm. Like if she hadn't been the way she was, I wouldn't be where I am today. So how do you, how do you put those two things together? Yeah, she did. She said, if she hadn't schlepped me to yeah. all those auditions, I wouldn't be hosting this talk right. show. And right. I love doing this. Right. Yes. You know, something else that I appreciated when she was looking at that home she had shared with her mom at seven years of age, she shared this little insight. She talked about how she would, at that time, as this young seven year old, every time they would eat meals, she said she would notice that she would be seated at the table with the plate, you know, her food, and her mom would be like standing up or moving around the kitchen or at the standing at the counter and that it was just such a thing to her like she was like why can't my mom sit with me why can't, why am I by myself why can't she sit and eat with me and it was just something that just really got to her as a child and she said that now that she's a single mother of two herself she said she suddenly realized one day what am I doing during meals mm-hmm. they're sitting and eating and I'm serving I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm running over here I'm getting more food I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking care of this and she goes she has come to realize her mom was a single mom mm-hmm. in that particular instance where she had judged her mom for it she realized her mom just needed to take care of things as a single mom and not everything can be the Norman Rockwell moments is how she put it right and I like that about Drew that even as she I think tries to objectively see and analyze all the bad Mm -hmm. I think she also tries to see the good yes and I think that's why she survived and thrived Mm -hmm. through this she is able to see the bad things that happened to her and but also see well they gave me this good Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one other thing that I think has helped Drew break this very more curse, if you will, is that she really has tried not to repeat the patterns, mm-hmm. but to break them, mm-hmm. to learn from what's happened and to do things differently. In fact, that has been a huge theme that has come up so many times is how as a mother herself, who's gotten control, she is in control of her nuclear family. Mm-hmm. She has tried to create a totally different environment and And she said at one point, I am lucky that I got dealt some cards that showed me what it's like to not have family. And I am much luckier to now have the chance to create my own deck. I loved that. So to kind of bring this to a close, I thought I would take it back to the focus of this episode, you know, that Barrymore family legacy in general, and the fact that it is this dynasty of actors, Mm -hmm. okay? In addition to all these things with her personal lives, Drew has said that she really feels the pull of her family's craft. Yeah. When when Dr. Phil gave her those gifts, we've already said she was genuinely touched. She was. As I was doing this research, I came across different times when she would write things about being so proud of that history or that legacy. There was an Instagram post where she had found an old Hollywood photo of her grandmother, Dolores, and she posted it. And she had this nice, sweet little blurb about how she needed something positive that day and came across this picture of her grandmother and what it meant to see Mm -hmm. her as this young, beautiful starlet. So those things, I think, are very meaningful to her. And she truly loves her profession. She said one time, here's a quote, 
quote, I'm not trying to do this job because I feel any obligation. I think there is magic in genetics. I feel so compelled to do what they do. Yeah. And then one last little tidbit she shared in her kitchen, there is a small TV that is always tuned to Turner Classic Movies. And she said, quote, it is never not on because it's a portal. They come and visit me through it. I will be walking into the kitchen and there will be Lionel or John or Ethel or my dad. And I literally gasp for air. Oh, wow. Isn't that beautiful? It is. Yes. I thought, what a, what a perfect way to end this. Armchair psychologist. So what are your thoughts, Ashley? Ooh, we've, we've kind of been armchairing this whole time. Mm-hmm. But what I am really fascinated with is what you just mentioned about how she said there's a pull of the genetics. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like she couldn't fight wanting to be an actor if, if she wanted to try. I wonder if her children, if she's going to allow her children mm-hmm. to become actors, or if they will, if literally, if she is going to break this curse, if she says, no, my children are not, not going to be actors, and then it would end with her. Mm-hmm. You know, this at least this acting dynasty. I imagine, and I'm inferring, that she will let them choose at a later age. Right. I I think that what she has learned from her childhood is and what she wants to give her children is a childhood mm-hmm. and maybe a foundation that they can then choose what they want to do with their lives when they are of age. Yeah, that's a, that's a guess. But I think that's fascinating about genetics. Like you are pulled to things, you were called to things and you feel it. And this was strong. I mean, this goes back to the 1800s or you said maybe even the 1700s. 1700s. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such an interesting point. Reminds me, as I was researching several times, I saw the note where parents had tried to guide the children away from Mm -hmm. acting. And they kept going back. And they would go back to it. Sometimes it was simply because they needed money. Sure. I mean, this was was an easy thing for them. They Mm -hmm. had an in because Mm -hmm. grandma runs a theater or she's a famous actor or he's a famous actor. So it was sometimes the easy thing to do or it was the necessary thing to do. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I now wonder, genetics, sure. But also one of the many themes that I kept hearing was the pride Mm. they took in that Mm -hmm. legacy. Mm -hmm. No matter how crazy their personal lives may have been or how hurtful in some cases some of their relationships may have been, Mm -hmm. it seemed like every single person that I read about still took such pride in this this legacy, this dynasty. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's part of it too. Did they take pride in being a Barrymore or did they take pride in the acting? I think it was the fact that we these Barrymore's are known to be great actors. Th- yes, this like this is the first family of Hollywood. Okay. Everybody's so revered. Yeah. Oh, you're a Barrymore. Okay. Oh, your ancestors did this, and I wonder if that's part of the appeal. Like, mm. how do I break away when when I already have the identity? Mm-hmm. I'm a Barrymore. And I she's could... actually got both identities. It's like two surnames. Drew and Barrymore was the two surnames together. It. They are always honoring that legacy, yeah. even in the way they they name me their kids. Yeah. They are calling on that. Yeah. So it would be hard to break away. Yeah. I mean, because it's it's almost like it's just laying there right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Just just pick it up. Mm-hmm. Just just take it. Just do it. Just run with it. <laughs> but I guess just to end this, I, I will offer a, a totally unrelated thought, which piggybacks on what we started with. I, I really do respect Drew Barrymore. I, do. I don't know her incredibly well, but having had a chance to dig into her life and, and mm-hmm. her her personality and her experiences through the last few episodes that yeah. we've done, yeah. I really respect how she's approached some things. It reminds me a little bit about our Robert Downey Jr. segment mm-hmm. where he was introduced to substance abuse at a very young age around yeah. a parent. Yeah. And that sounds like what happened to her. And they are two, I would say they are the male and female, at least in our recent memory of people who have gone through horrible situations and come out the other side, but still acknowledged what they went through. And because they've acknowledged it, they've Mm -hmm. helped so many other people. Yes. 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 So a big cheers to you, Drew Barrymore. And to the rest of the Barrymore clan. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, 
www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.